So tonight I want to talk about um, light, you might have guessed that. Um, I also want to talk about sponges, and I want to talk about crucifixion. And um, before we talk about light and sponges, I want to remind you why Jesus was killed and why there was power in his death. Um, why there were so many people desperate to kill a Jewish rabbi from Nazareth called Jesus. Because if you read through all the Easter stories, you come to see that it's Jesus' claim to be king that upset everybody. And he was essentially killed by those people who were terrified that his claim to be king would upset the status quo. And it says in Luke 23, 25, that after the crowds had chanted for Jesus' death, Pilate handed him over to their will. In other words, Pilate went, okay, well, what you want to happen, we're going to let happen now. So who killed Jesus? Well, the religious elite killed Jesus, and the Roman Empire killed Jesus, and Judas killed Jesus, and the baying mob killed Jesus. Essentially, man killed Jesus because man didn't manage to understand love. And God, in his incredible love and desire to make sure we got the message about love, sat back and allowed it to happen. That's the true love of the Father at Easter, is he let it happen. I don't believe God killed Jesus. I believe God allowed man to kill Jesus. Knowing that that was the way that would bring life, but ultimately he let it happen. And Ephesians 1 tells us he knew all along this would happen and that his love was so great that he allowed it. The greatest loving act the Father did was to sit back and allow his own creation to kill his own son. That is the deepest act of love. So the power of the cross is not so much in the fact that Jesus was killed, but in the way both Jesus and the Father allowed it to happen. Because in Matthew 26, 53, Jesus says he could have called down 70,000 angels to help. That's what he says when he talks about legions. He says more than 70,000 angels. But if he did that, we would never understand just how much we are loved. You see, Jesus' death took place in a world where power and control were key. And Jesus claiming to be king meant he threatened that power and that control. So when power and control get threatened, it did what power and control always does and exerts more power and more control. Because that's what power and control always does when it gets threatened. So Jesus' death took place in this world where these things were key. And, and so the Easter story is about a dark, bloody, gruesome Friday that ends in the execution of a man called Jesus by an occupying military power, by a religious elite, and by a puppet king trying to hold on to the power he had, all because he threatened all their power and control. And they responded in the only way they knew how. And when those with power and control, those who've used that power to gain the upper hand, to get their own way, as all those peoples had done, used it again on Jesus, he models what it means to bring the kingdom. Because Jesus met power, control, and violence with submission and peace. Rather than retaliate, he absorbs all their violence into himself and brings reconciliation. So the power 
of the cross is that Jesus is met with all the power and control that the religious elite and kings and Roman uh, armies could muster. And instead of retaliating with power and control, he retaliates with submission and peace. And rather than retaliate, he absorbs everything into himself and out of that brings reconciliation. And the path to bringing the kingdom was laid out for us by Jesus. The cross. The cross is about humanity's anger and cruelty and violence and longing for retribution. And Jesus responds to that anger, violence, power, and control, not by fighting back with his own power. This is not a power struggle. This is about how people use power. There is no power struggle. Jesus could have finished it instantly. It wouldn't have been a struggle or a fight or a battle. He has more than 70,000 angels, but it's not about who has the most power. That's Jesus, but it's about how you use that power. The cross is what it means to be powerful. The cross is about a more powerful tool than violence and retribution and tit for tat. Jesus meets violence with silence. Jesus meets anger with meekness. Jesus meets power and control with forgiveness and he absorbs the wrongs of others into himself so others can walk free of the consequences and actions of those wrongs. And Jesus is also showing us how the kingdom works. Because we, in our own way, are called to walk the same path. Because that path leads to the same place, restoration and redemption and reconciliation. Because a few years after the death of Jesus, Paul would write these words, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ. That's what God was doing when he allowed Jesus to die, reconciling the world to himself. But he was also showing us how you go about reconciliation. He was showing us how you bring about people coming back together who have been apart. He was showing us how it's done. And then he says he's given us this ministry of reconciliation and committed to us the message of reconciliation. So now we have this message and ministry of reconciliation and we've been shown how to do it, which it seems means absorbing things into ourselves somehow and not retaliating. Reconciliation just means bringing people back together, restoring people first that Jesus enters themselves and then to those around them, restoring people to their original design as lovers of Jesus, lovers of themselves, and lovers of those around them. So the message you and I carry that we are called to carry is not a message of separation. It's not a message of division or disconnection or of breaking apart. There is nothing in our call that leads to those things. It's a call for restoration and reconciliation. And the way we do that is to follow the example of Jesus on the cross. 
The cross is the grace symbol of how you bring about reconciliation. It's about absorbing and it's about reconciling. Because on the cross, Jesus chose to absorb the violence, the hatred, the mocking, the singing into himself. He chooses to meet violence with silence. He meets anger with meekness. He meets power and control with forgiveness. And he absorbs the wrongs of others into himself so others can walk free. That is really what it means to live as a kingdom people, to walk in the way of Jesus. It means to absorb other people's actions into yourself and therefore bring reconciliation and know there's nothing fair about it. But this is not new. This is littered throughout the New Testament. Take this as an example. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called. The really good question is how the heck are we meant to do that? Because very often we don't manage to absorb one person's wrongdoing into ourselves without reacting in some way. We, we don't manage to meet just a couple of mildly violent words without having our own say back. But, according to, but the way of Jesus was this way, and according to Peter, we are now meant to live in that same way. Well, it seems to me that on the cross, Jesus absorbed... And just think about this. So on the cross, Jesus wasn't just absorbing into himself everything that was going on. He was absorbing all the sin of the whole world into himself and managing not to react. I mean, just, just mine from this week would be enough to crush me. But he took the sin of the whole world of the whole time into himself all in one go and somehow managed to do that but there must be a lesson because if we're called to do the same there must be something we can learn from the cross about how we can do it and how we're meant to go about that so jesus absorbed it all and we'll explore in a few minutes exactly what that looked like but for now i want to i want to make sure you don't get the wrong idea of what i'm saying because we're all at different stages on our journey and our ability to repay evil with blessing and i use that word evil because that's the word that peter uses but really all the ways we're hurt all the ways we're harmed all the ways we want to react all the things we do our best to keep quiet but in them we want to slap somebody all those little ways but peter is no but it must be possible that the biblical writers didn't write things that were impossible maybe challenging it may be difficult but not impossible And of course, we're all at different stages in our journey and our ability to, to repay evil with blessing. First of all, let, let me say this before we get on to Jesus and perhaps the, the key. Wise people know their limits. They know what they can take and they know when they're at their limit and cannot absorb anymore. So it might be helpful to think of yourself as a sponge. And we can absorb so much kind of evil, if you like. So this is you, you're blue and yellow for some reason, but there you go. But of course, it, you know, you can absorb a little bit and you're fine. Nothing's going to leak. You can just take it. You can take it. 
But eventually, it's a good eventually, it leaks out with you and you can't take any more. And so wise people are people who know where that limit is. Because each of us has got so much capacity. And what I'm suggesting this evening is that the way of the cross, to follow in the way of Jesus, is a life that does what it, what it can up to our capacity to absorb that which comes our way so that we don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but on the contrary, we repay evil with blessing. Because the way of the cross of absorbing these things leads to reconciliation, which is why it's so important. Often, there can be no reconciliation without someone absorbing the cost. And you are called to be a person who absorbs the cost in yourself. Forgiveness is the absorbing of that cost. That's why there can be no reconciliation without somebody absorbing some cost. That's what forgiveness is. It's taking it on you and going, I'm going to absorb this. So wise people know where that absorption limit is. And for the sake of themselves and everyone around them, they build in breaks. Because this is a beautiful thing. You, Jesus, had nowhere else for it to go. But when you get to a point of absorption, you can come to Jesus and you can squeeze it all back out again so that you're ready to take some more. Everything that gets on you, when you reach your limit, wherever that limit is, and then you're ready for more. And then you can move back into the world and you can absorb a little bit more. A little bit more, a little bit more. And then you go to Jesus and you follow the process through. And I didn't think to have a towel, never mind This is why I take a weekly Sabbath. This is why I take time out. And nearly every Thursday, I make sure I do two things. I go for a walk, and I sit somewhere and I journal. Because that is me squeezing myself out of everything that I've absorbed. Going, okay, Lord, I've absorbed all these things. And recently, I've actually gone through my diary and go, what did I absorb on Monday? What, what happened on Monday? Who did I say, Lord, remind me, is there anything I need to just give over to you? that happened on Monday. And I'll go through each day of the week and just give it to him because I want to make sure, because I've learned, I used to think that I didn't need to do that. But what happened was I got to my limit and I'd try and help somebody and all they'd get is not only their own stuff coming back, but everybody else's as well because it was too much and it all just poured out. And I know that if I didn't take that day, I would become overwhelmed. And I just leak out what has already been absorbed to anybody who's around me, and that's not helpful. But if we're to walk the way of the cross, which we are called to do, then we must be people who are learning to absorb that around us into ourselves. That is the message of the cross, or one of the many messages of the cross. But then you've got to be aware of your limits and put healthy boundaries around yourself and give yourself grace for when you don't get those lines quite right. But a wise person knows their absorption limits and they know what to do and how to release that all out to Jesus who's already taken it. So I'm talking about you absorbing the cost up to your limit. But I would say this, your spirit is able to absorb much more than you think. 
The problem is your mind and your body. Your mind and your body is the issue. There's not a problem with your spirit. Your spirit can take much, much more than your mind and your body can. And here's the thing that I've realized. Actually, we've got to train our bodies and minds what our spirits can take. Because our bodies and minds will give up a lot quicker than our spirits. So we've got to learn to train our mind and body to absorb as much as our spirit can. Essentially, this is really about our ability to be aware of our spirit first rather than our mind or body. But it's also about being willing to live from our spirit instead of our mind or our body. It's more about going, okay, I feel exhausted, but your spirit's not tired. It's impossible for your spirit to get tired. It's eternal. It doesn't need sleep. It doesn't need food. It doesn't need any of that stuff. And hey, man does not live by bread alone, so you can be hungry and be perfectly fine. But we've got to do some training. Otherwise, our body and our mind take over when there could be so much more. But let's get back to the cross and Jesus. How did Jesus manage it? How did he manage to take the weight of it all on himself? Well, there's a telling line back in the beginning of Luke that perhaps gives us a clue. He says this, And the child Jesus grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom and the grace of God that's upon him. So it seems for Jesus there was a process going in his life where day by day he was growing stronger and stronger in spirit. And this strength in spirit was something that grew within him. He wasn't something he just had or suddenly appeared, but he became strong in spirit. And this becoming strong in spirit is not unique to Jesus because read the very same words describing John just a chapter earlier. Luke 1 verse 8, he says, The child grew and became strong in spirit. So it's about Jesus and it's about John. It's also about you. There is an expectation that you can grow strong in spirit. That's what Jesus did and it's what John did. Their spirit grew in strength and that strengthening of their spirit enabled them to do everything they did. You see, ultimately your spirit's many things, but one of its characteristics is light. 1 John 1 verse 5, God is light. And we also know God is spirit, so spirit must be light. There's some sense of light about spirit. And I wonder if you can think of the strength of your spirit in terms of the brightness of it. Like as it gets stronger, it gets brighter. You see, I don't think you can grow the size of your spirit. Your spirit, by the way, is probably as big as you, if not bigger. It's not this tiny little thing in your heart. It's probably much bigger than that. And I don't think you can grow the size of it, but it seems to me that if Jesus and John can strengthen it, I and you can strengthen it. And I, I like to think of it about brightness because it's interesting. When you read in Matthew 17, when Jesus was transfigured, it says this, his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. So in this moment, the disciples are getting a glimpse of Jesus kind of somehow outside his physical body. And the only way that Matthew can describe it is to say his face shines like the sun. And his clothes are as white as the light. There's this sense of, and of course you can't look at the sun, it's incredibly bright. So we know there's something about light in terms of spirit as well. Because when you get to Revelation, you read these words, that in a new Eden there'll be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. Okay, but this city is thousands of square miles big. Thousands of square miles, the city. 
That's bigger than the UK. And God alone is going to light the whole place up. I mean, that's pretty bright. How did he manage Jesus to absorb the whole sin of the whole world into himself? Well, perhaps he managed it because he'd grown so strong in spirit. His spirit was so bright, to use that analogy, that no darkness, however dark, could survive that much light. Perhaps his spirit was so strong. Perhaps he'd managed to grow in strength over the 33 years he was on the earth that it didn't matter how much darkness came his way, he was not going to lose because he was so strong in spirit. It didn't matter what evil was chucked at him. The strength of spirit was so big that it kind of like just disappeared somehow. So if we are tasked with walking the same path and absorbing the things that come our way, perhaps the key is in strengthening our spirit. So that when things come our way, we do not retaliate, but we're able to bring life. Because the issue is not really about the brightness of your spirit, because according to the word, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you and me. That's Romans 8. So the same spirit lives in me and lives in you. So the issue is not so much actually the brightness of our spirit, but much more our awareness of that brightness and all the things that block that brightness from being seen. I mean, if you could see your spirit, and we, I'm praying that you're going to, at the end, that we're going to have a time, some of you are going to see. I'm praying you're all, you're going to see an aspect of your spirit. That's what we're going to do at the end. But Jesus had become so strong in spirit that nothing could overcome, and he had trained his body and mind what his spirit was capable of, and that's what he was going to use. And you realize as well, when you, when you read the story, he was always in charge of his spirit because it says he gave up his spirit. He was always in charge of it. Nobody took it from him. He decided when and how and where, despite all that. So really, this is what, this is what discipleship's all about. It's about training our bodies and minds what our spirits are capable of and moving towards a place where our bodies and minds serve our spirits, not the other way around. Because we've got to check ourselves all the time, don't we? I was with Paul and some of the leaders and trustees on Wednesday night, and he was sharing a little bit. And we had a time at the end. He said, oh, I think God's going to remind you of some things. And so we sat around together and sat there. And I remember the scripture. Lovely to see you tonight, Paul. I remember a scripture Yar Lucia gave me many years ago. Many, many years ago. And um, the Lord reminded me of it. It says this, take a look at my servant and backing him to the hill. I couldn't be more pleased with him. And yet just a little while ago, I'd forgotten that he was backing me to the hill. Because I had all sorts of fears and questions and doubts and I was telling Paul I've made these mistakes and I've done this and I'm here and there and he, he rebuked me for using such language as mistakes and failures and told me that no son of his should ever use such vocabulary. So I had to repent again. But then I'm sat there, 
And of course, what's going on in that moment? What's going on? Okay, no, no, no. I'm, I'm realigning myself again. Because my, my, my fears and my thoughts and my opinion on my past was exactly that. My thoughts and my opinions, it was nothing to do with the Father and nothing to do with my spirit. But I'd gotten this moment where my mind had got ahead of my spirit and I was going, and I had to pull my mind back and go, no, no. Now he's backing me that hill and he couldn't be more pleased. I had to go on a journey again of reminding my mind what my spirit already knew would be true. But one of the ways we become strong in spirit is to increase our awareness of the reality of our spirit. And to close this evening, I want you to take some moments for you to think about your spirit. I want us to just rest with him for a little while. And I'm going to pray and that at that time, Jesus would reveal something to you about your spirit that would help you in your journey with him. I believe most of us don't take much time to think about our spirit. I believe most of us would struggle to describe it, to struggle to write it down or write lots of adjectives about what it's like or how it is or how big it is or what it looks like or where it started or where it ends. But I believe, and this is important because if you get some of this, you might cope with what Paul's going to share on Sunday morning because he's on it, I'm telling you. So I'm just the warm-up act. Well, I've always been the warm-up act. I know I always will be the warm-up act, but that's fine by me. But you see, if you want to be able to go where Paul wants to take you, you're going to have to understand something about your spirit more than you know. And I thought, well, let's have a little time where we ask Jesus to remind us and show us and reveal to us our spirit. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to, um, uh, we're just going to play some gentle music and we're going to sit. Feel free to sit there. There's some comfy chairs up on the balcony. There's some space. There's, be wherever you want to be. Uh, this music lasts about 15 minutes. I'm not going to stand up and say anything else. So if after five minutes you've seen more than you can cope with, feel free to leave. Uh, so I, I, I'm not going to say goodbye or anything else. And just feel free to to go when you need to go. And, just in doing that, respect those people who are perhaps still being shown something or seeing something or resting in something. But the only way I can think of where I can manage to repay blessing for evil more and more is to become increasingly aware and to strengthen my spirit, which is a reality within each one of us. It is a reality within every single one of us. Do you want to just uh, close that, Matt? So just rest in this. And Jesus, we are thanking you for your example that you were strong enough in spirit to absorb everything of evil into yourself. And Jesus, we want to follow your example and be strong in spirit. And I am asking, Father, that as we sit with you now, that you would show us something of our spirit, Lord, that you would, for each person, something that would help them and encourage them, something that would just help them understand just how big their spirit is on the inside of them. Father, I ask Jesus, do what only you can do and 
shower with our true selves.